Welcome to the Revel and Reveal podcast. I'm your host, Deanna Enfeld. Hello, everyone. Welcome to March. The theme of this month is purpose, and I thought what better person to talk on this theme than Erin from The Mindful Bird. Erin has been on the podcast before. She's a great friend. She facilitates Reiki. She offers breathwork, meditation, guidance through all of her offerings. She does in person and online. Um, So definitely check her out if you are interested. I'll put her website in the show notes. Also follow her on Instagram. Um, With purpose, something that Erin talks a lot on is the journey of understanding your path and releasing that energy that is kind of hold up inside you. And I think as you move into alignment with your purpose, and when I say purpose, I don't mean like this is what you're meant to do for the rest of your life. I mean purpose is like living with intent. Um, As you move into that space of what excites you, what lights you up, or what feels like you're of a greater service than just your own needs, then you start healing these these energies that are trapped inside you and that's why Reiki is so beautiful and something that I wish everyone tries because you don't realize how much how stagnant some energy is until you start doing that and part of that is because as you your nervous system learns what safety is supposed to be you create these patterns in yourself where it's not aligned with you anymore of how to reach that safety you might be doing things that feel like they can't represent who you are um for example like let's say your family is always fighting in the kitchen um so your safety is like i should not cook because if i cook then i won't be safe and so then you kind of create this pattern of always eating out or never really eating at all maybe so that might not serve you anymore but at the time it kept you safe So holding space for yourself, acknowledging like these patterns, they are no longer in alignment, but they did keep me safe. And I can hold compassion and understanding for myself that they did what they needed to do and I don't need them anymore. And that's beautiful. And so as you're moving into that alignment, you'll start picking up on these patterns. And Aaron talks about this um, through the whole episode. And it just really, it reminds me of how important tending to the body and tending to your nervous system really is and it's something that I've struggled with over the years just like I am kind of like a bull when it comes to healing I'm like oh I can heal everything at once and I can deal with everything at once because I'm safe now and you know that just doesn't (laughs) that doesn't really work um I've even been reading Body Keeps the Score which is a really great book but in my mind Body Keeps the Score is really good to give to people you love um, if you're having traumatic patterns um, like symptoms of PTSD or how you handle trauma responses it's really good to give to people to be like hey this is kind of where I'm at can you read this and understand like my experience but if you're going through it right now and you need something gentler I have some books from Summer Forlenza. She is a trauma and EMDR therapist. I'll link below just some books that will help you kind of move through healing in a much gentler way than Body Keeps the Score. Um, But Body Keeps the Score is really great if you're interested in the science and the just 
all the studies done, it's very interesting. So I really like it, but it takes me so long to get through because every few sentences is very triggering. But the purpose of Purpose this month is really to showcase a different perspective on what it means to be in purpose or on your path or in your journey. So it's not just focused on like what you're doing, what you're achieving, um, your actions or goals. It's more focused on like how to get yourself into alignment so it just kind of unfolds naturally. And to offer this perspective of being where you are and being present. And that is something that Aaron always talks about is just the importance of presence and how being in relationship to the present moment is really the only way to get fully in alignment and showing yourself in the present moment this is where the energy is showing up in my body it's where I'm moving out of fear rather than out of purpose or out of like this feeling of joy and that's why I love Erin so much because she always focuses on her words so deeply and loves what she does and you can tell that she's fully just in that purpose and she loves what she does so much and it really comes through when she speaks so that's why I wanted to have her on again and really kind of push for this before you can even get into your purpose or your path or whatever you want to call it you have to tend to the body and you have to tend to your your healing and all of these things that are so important that we kind of neglect because we're in this kind of society where we're just pushing and trudging along and like no you just have to keep doing more and more and more and Aaron lets you know that it's okay to stop and it's okay to breathe and yeah I just love her so much so thank you Aaron, for coming on and enjoy the show um thank you so much for being on again i'm very excited for you to be here of course thank you for having me and inviting me back it feels feels lovely to be received this way you've been up to a lot of things Mm -hmm. (laughs) i've been noticing (laughs) um a lot of workshops very much in person um mm-hmm. you're very you're showing up a lot for your craft and your medicine your healing and yourself and yeah i just one i would love to start off with just how has reiki kind of transformed over the years especially as you step into this new phase and maybe touch on like what that new phase encompasses for you mm. Thank you for acknowledging um, the work that I put in to to my path, my purpose, my passion. Um, It feels good to see that be acknowledged just because it's taken some time for this to evolve. And it's evolving incredibly organically. um, And yeah I feel like this emotion in my chest as I talk about it and my solar plexus because I'm literally doing what I love to do like I cannot imagine a day where I'm going back to another nine to five or corporate or shift work type job I mean there are days when I think about it because of how hard entrepreneurship can be Um, but 
I just, in my bones, I know that this is what I need to do. And it has evolved for me drastically. Um, and it all starts, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it very much so starts with doing what I thought needed to be done and abiding by the conditioning of society and the society that my parents grew up in and what they foresaw for, you know, potential futures. And as young children, we listen to what we're exposed to, you know, through our parents and through our friends and school systems and what's happening on a global or national level. And that's okay. That's like really okay. And I began like in holistic health or I began studying uh, human ecology at Rutgers and then picked up a job in holistic health as a part-time gig back in 2018. And that really launched me into my nursing career, like what I thought that I could do in order to incorporate Reiki into the Western healthcare field. And as I was working in the Western healthcare field as a nurse's assistant, taking nursing prerequisite courses, as well as volunteering Reiki to cancer patients and trying to formulate my own sense in the world through the mindful bird as this holistic alternative practice um, involving Reiki and breath work. It all became so wonderful, but it was very taxing. Um, I was trying to merge like this conditioned world into my unique world and my unique path, my unique purpose. And um, I am blessed beyond belief to have been guided in the direction that is authentic to my uniqueness. And I was guided there <clears throat> through a closed door of a passion that was developed through conditioning. So going into nursing and into the Western healthcare system was this formulated plan based on the idea that I'll have job security forever. Um, I will get benefits and I can grow in any direction. And through 2020, um, I knew it was going to be bad through the pandemic, but like nursing in general, working at the hospital through 2020, I knew it was going to be bad through the pandemic. But the later effects or the after effects of the pandemic were what really catalyzed the growth that I'm going through now. And there's a research psychologist that I have been studying in the last year, and she uses a guidance practice to help people understand how we are guided through this life to fit our uniqueness sometimes. And the guidance practice is kind of drawing a path on a piece of paper and marking the first point on your path where a door was closed in your face. 
like an opportunity that was like, no, this is not happening. And then observing what took place after the door closed in your face and somewhere along the path, you draw the next door that closed in your face and so on and so forth for about three to four occurrences. And you realize that once these doors close in your face, the openness and beauty of your individual path and expression that comes after that door closes is what really leads us towards, okay, I need to trust what's happening here and not totally fight against what my ego wants based on my ego being conditioned through society and growing up, other perspectives. And when I applied to nursing school, like that was like the second or third door that had closed in my face in relevance to um, getting a degree and using a degree title as um, my fortitude, using a degree title as who I am rather than owning exactly who I am. And once I didn't get into like my dream nursing school, my roommate at the time had asked me, what's your initial response? And I said that I wasn't supposed to do this because I was kind of feeling less and less attracted to Western healthcare after watching what took place during the pandemic within the system and what took place in lack of support and care for the nursing staff and the doctors and the patients after the pandemic. And that was, it was traumatizing. It was literally, I don't want to say it was killing people, but it's um, that lack of support and connection for those healthcare workers, as well as the patients is, goes against the law of like, we are like group oriented beings and we are connection oriented beings. And there was just so much work and so much heavy lifting that there wasn't connection in the passion that people signed up for. And that, that was like totally taking a toll on my nervous system. So going full, I quit and going full time into Reiki, it really gave me the opportunity to like be out on my own and, and create from my experiences in Western healthcare. And you know, when I first got certified in Reiki in 2017, there was a lot of intuitiveness to it. And um, a lot of, you would see things or sense things or feel things that you would notice as like energy. And there's a lot of like, is this energy my energy? Is this the energy the person's energy? Is this spiritual energy? Is this Reiki energy? So there was a lot of deciphering and kind of like flushing out, okay, like what is what and why am I here? But that became so much more of my focus when I quit the hospital and I really had all of this time to like deeply sit with myself and understand what these things were. and. <clears throat> I remember getting really triggered at one point, probably in like 2019 or 2020, where somebody had posted that, you know, the master level certificate of a Reiki practitioner is just a title and you're a master of nothing because you get this Reiki certification in like a weekend. And this really triggered me. And instead of being in the trigger, 
I decided to see what was on the other side of the trigger. And so I went in depth in understanding the lineage of Reiki, you know, what the traditions of Reiki really are, why, what's Reiki's purpose, like what vehicle is driving Reiki or what destination, not that Reiki needs to get to a destination, but like, what is it really going to bring forth in society? Like, what is its role in society? Why is it here? Why are we practicing it? And so I decided to try to get to know the roots as best I can. And it was um, a a practice that was passed down through storytelling and and verbal sharing. And um, it's really beginning to kind of somewhat structuralize a little bit. And so in understanding this process of like, of what Reiki is and why I'm here for it or why I'm so connected to it in, in my, in my living being was understanding like the body and taking my work and my education in anatomy and physiology and endocrine systems and psychology and neuroscience and trying to understand, okay, like when I have my hands on a specific area in the body and I'm noticing a reaction in this person's body in another area, how and why might that be connected? And um, I've been drawing upon, you know, the energy center or the chakra system um, to kind of help facilitate like a tangible or reasonable understanding that our brains can comprehend in order to help us make conscious shifts in how we feel in our body and what we utilize to change or grow or alter or unfold or become into our body, which is that vessel that bridges that consciousness and that awareness into this reality that can be so 3D and so pushy and and kind of confining, how can we use the body as like this middle ground space to begin to create the life that we desire based on what we sense and know within our own bodies and allowing what we sense and we know in our bodies to move through our body like a light prism to project color into the world or to create in the world and to support consciousness or or group consciousness as everybody on this planet as a whole. And so it's 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 grown for me in that way where it was like really simple at first and this is what I'm doing and I'm, this is what I feel connected to and then it moved into like through a trigger and shadow work it moved into this depth of understanding like what do I need to know deeper about this work in order to bring it through authentically and calmly and with all knowing that what I'm doing is conducive to not just the sep- not just like what's been separated for so long in humanity between spirituality and practicality and like, yeah, what can I do to kind of make sure that we can see spirituality and practicality as a very similar or overlapping experience for a human being? Hmm. Yeah, even just now, I think you posted about like hyperthyroidism and just the purpose of the thyroid on practical level, but also on the spiritual level. And I had thyroiditis 
at one point and it was hyperthyroid and I was just reading like what it means and it's just like yeah that was what I was going through <laughs> at the time so it's always fascinates me how modern medicine can and I'm not like hating on modern medicine or anything but it can be so quick to kind of just put the symptoms in this little gift wrapped box and it's like that very well can be those things, but there can also be that layer of like, well, what is your spirit feeling today too? And like, I was going through so much grief at the time and I felt like my life was completely out of control and I've never had an issue before or since with my thyroid. And it's like, I don't know. It just makes sense to me that there is that layer of like, let's see what's a little bit deeper too. Um, So I really appreciate that. Like, you come at things in a certain way that I think everyone can show up for. Mm-hmm. And it's not this like overwhelming process of like, no, you either have to be spiritual or you have to be yeah. like logical quote unquote. But yeah, there's this element that's like, it's not just um, one or the other. It always has to be combined and you have to like sit with that. And I mean, from our experiences together to, just simple things that like my doctors couldn't understand. And I would have those psychosomatic like pain or experiences that like are unexplainable. Mm-hmm. And I think having that toolkit is very important for people and whatever modality that feels like. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that you mentioned to me too, is just like seeing where I was when I had the hyperthyroid experience versus now, like, I remember in one of our sessions, you were like, you have your toolkit now and you're like actively using it. I was like, I didn't have one then. (laughs) So it's interesting to see that experience. And I would also really love to just talk about like, you you mentioned purpose and like knowing that this is your path and your experience. What were some, you talked about closing doors, but were there any other like feelings in your body when you kind of realize that like going through the modern nursing path wasn't aligned anymore or how can someone get in touch with like what is aligned versus what is not yeah so I want to touch on the fact that western medicine has been boiled down to a systemized A then B process. And we need that in this world in order to advance in a way, in order to track and advance things and say, okay, this is happening. How can we change it? How can we advance it? And it's interventional medicine um, can, and especially in research, can be slow because we're moving at a pace of the human body and the human ecosystem. And so therefore, because it moves so slow, it can be very systemized. But like you said, and what I've been hearing, especially in like the psychedelic research world, is that there's all of these like clinical studies. But one of the main things that these clinical studies are missing is that validation of the human personal experience that takes place. So it's like they're getting all this clinical research where they're getting all this data and they're excluding the qualitative data of how someone feels in the experience. 
and removing that that quality of experience can really be unsupportive to what you were talking about where it's like there was another layer of something going on um for you it wasn't just like this like this clinical like symptom that was resolved by a pill there was there was something else happening for you um there was some there was something in the internal natural system of your body that was off because something else was off it's not like oh thyroid's off and that's it fix the thyroid it's like well the thyroid's off because something else is off like the endocrine system is this feedback loop between the brain and the body from the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland all the way down to the gonads like and and those you know from the brain to your reproductive system there's a trickle down and and feedback system that's communicating to itself so something was off in that internal system and I think there's kind of like this joke going around online uh, in the online health and wellness space of like your doctor told you your labs are fine, but you don't feel fine. And it's like, yeah, this, <laughs> this is a thing that's actually happening because there is this other layer going on. And so um, for me, um, in terms of like releasing and and stepping into acceptance and holding this vision to bring forth this message that something else is happening within the innate systems and allowing, you know, modern science to say like, okay, I can see that perspective and allow Eastern practices to say, okay, we can start to study and observe our perspectives. Um, It's been a journey for me and there has been, there were physical symptoms that were showing up for me in the height of um, the stress in the healthcare system while I was working at the hospital. So again, everything's been systemized and it's like trying to fit everything into this box and this system, but there are other layers outside of this system that are also taking place. And the system tends to put these blinders on and be in this box and not look at those other layers. And that's okay because that's the way it was conditioned. That's the way it was fortified. That's the way it came through. But I think it's time to change that. It's time to draw back a couple steps and say, okay, we need to insert this other layer or the possibility of these other layers that are taking place. And I think that's what's happening over the next few decades in health and wellness at this time. But for me, when something else was certainly going on, I definitely had physical symptoms. Um, I had been working in the hospital for three and a half years, um, slowly taking my time between juggling volunteer work, the little Reiki business that I had going, um, the shift work on, on a bone marrow transplant unit, and my nursing prerequisites to apply to this nursing school. And I was exhausted. It was two years after COVID in mid 2022. And just the nurses were so burnt out. Um, A typical day as a nurse's assistant, you're supposed to have eight patients to one person. I was repeatedly seeing 12 to 18 patients a day for 12 hours and being responsible for them in that way. 
And um, I was exposed early on to some childhood trauma. So I, and many of us were, that doesn't set me apart from anything, but there was, it was getting to a point while I was doing this nursing work that I couldn't handle the stress and the demand of do this for me or do this every day and show up this way. Um, And I even started mental health therapy to kind of like start cutting away any additional tasks that were kind of taking away from me and like my own life vitality. And our life vitality is definitely communicated through the internal systems of the body, through nervous system, endocrine system, um, hormones, um, and neurotransmitters that make us happy, that make us feel like we're receiving rewards, that we're doing things well. And at one point after I didn't get in and I was like, okay, this door closed on my face. I need to like reconsider if I really want to keep going, applying to other nursing schools. Um, my grandfather passed away and I was traveling a lot and travel can put a lot of stress on your immune system. And this is the first time I'm ever um, sharing this publicly, but I was going through so much stress that shortly after um, I had an, uh, a herpes outbreak um, on my hand. And herpes is a, um, it's a common virus that is transmitted through skin-to-skin contact. And once the virus enters the body, it houses itself in the nervous system and it lives there forever and it can go dormant or it can um, come back repeatedly. And it is painful for sure on the skin. And while I was traveling and my grandfather passed away and like this whole nursing school was ha- thing was happening. And I was like, what do I do with my life? My body on my right hand was like, I don't know, but this thing hurts. (laughs) And I was like, after every shift at the hospital, when this outbreak happened, um, I would just have this, this constant pain. So there's like these symptoms that take place, um, with HSV. So anybody who has like shingles, chicken pox, um, cold sores, genital herpes, things of that sort. You can have herpes in any open wound essentially. But the point is, is that it was just flaring up. Um, And they have like these like nerve symptoms, like you can feel tingling, you can feel burning, you can feel like all these sort of symptoms underneath the skin. And after I hadn't had it, like I didn't even know I had it. Um, I must've had had it for some time because it was taking place for me, but I, I didn't really know what it was. Like a a doctor told me it was fine. One time she saw this on my hands back in 2019. And she was just like, "Mm, doesn't look contagious to me. Just take this topical antibiotic and go home. And I was like, okay. And then like three years later, I find out it's herpes. I'm like, it is so contagious. It is incredibly contagious. And so it just goes to show how overworked um, that that healthcare system is. So anyway, this was like my physical symptom. After every shift, it was like these these nerve 
tingles or like this burning sensation would take place. And I was like, I was began to correlate it. I was like, there's, there's no way that going into a 12 hour shift, short staffed all the time, taking care of cancer patients dying is, is, is like, okay. And sustainable for me right now, because my nervous system can't like something's going on in my nervous system where this disease is showing back up after it hasn't for a very long time. So, um, yeah, that was like my, my catalyst to be like, if my body isn't responding well to stress, then I must be overcapacitated. Like my window of tolerance, I must be way outside my window of tolerance because the stress isn't calming down. Like my hand and these outbreaks like weren't getting better. And so um, that was when I was making the decision to leave that system because of the physical symptoms that were taking place from the stress and the accumulated stress. And I even sat in ceremony um, with a therapist and he was mentioning some soul-based things where he was saying, maybe, you know, if you believe in your soul, like transforming from lifetime to lifetime, that maybe your soul is so accustomed to doing masculine, go, go, go based, logical, structural energy over periods of life, like lifetimes, that maybe your soul is asking for a shift. So I was kind of in in between this place of like, I'm in this Western healthcare system that's so structuralized, so logical, so masculine, so go and do. And I'm also have my foot in the door of like this Eastern practice of Reiki, where it's more feminine, it's more soft, it's slower. It allows the body to move into a natural fluid process without forcing it to do much. And when this therapist had mentioned this to me, I was like, okay, I have my feet in both worlds. It's it's time to make the shift because it's very evident that the way that I've been accustomed to, or my soul has been accustomed to, or even my ego in this reality, in this lifetime, it's not serving me. And so, yeah, like my herpes outbreak was a major catalyst for me to just leave the hospital and things by grace of the universe really fell into place for me as I made this decision. Like I'm telling you, like money was coming in, um, support was coming in. It was, and, and people were just saying to me, like, this is probably the best thing that's ever happened to you. And I really began to kind of grow into that and start to accept that. And it's been a little bit over a year since I quit full-time at the hospital. And I'm just now feeling like it's safe for me to really step into my fullest expression. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I, (laughs) I hear you. And I want to acknowledge that while it definitely can feel like it served a purpose and it like was a catalyst, it was also painful and not a fun situation. So I just want to acknowledge that you moved through that. And I I remember, I think that's when we saw each other and we're like eating cheese in the park (laughs) and and just like crying and appreciating each other. And 
yeah, I think it's important to bring that up and just be someone who acknowledges that like these symptoms can manifest in ways that are uncomfortable and like me with my thyroid issues or you with the herpes outbreak, there's like, it feels scary to admit that like it could be because you're not aligned Mm -hmm. and that could be a layer of that because it does bring up all the shame of like, well, I'm that wrong that like I'm sick. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So if anyone's going through that where they have strong, extreme symptoms of something, it's, it happens more than we want to acknowledge and like accepting that is kind of like, I don't want to say it's the saving grace, but that's the first step in order to like move out of that. And yeah, it's fucking hard. <laughs> so, yeah. And the fact that like, it's okay to, to accept it, right? Like, yes, the shame for not showing up or for showing, you know, like struggling to show up um, is something we totally need to dismantle in our society because that's like in perpetuance what's making us sick you know it's like that shame and that push like we feel the shame and then we feel pushed to like show up to work or we feel pushed to show up to that thing and so it's okay to like yeah and and that's it just boils down to like the present moment like we're always juggling well in the past I did this and in the future I want to do this and it's like when these symptoms are showing up in the physical body, it's like a nod to go to the present moment and be like, okay, like, where am I actually at in the present moment? Not what do I need? Not what did I do? Not what's wrong or how to fix it. Where am I at in the present moment? And then asking, okay, here I am in the present moment. Now, what do I need? You know? to kind of keep moving or to keep present. And that is really, really, really powerful to begin to understand your own needs. But again, the first step, and this is just such a cliche thing. The first step is just being aware. The first step is knowing. And it's like, it's so true, but that first step involves so much more than just knowing it involves becoming present with yourself, with your life, with your body, with everything that is. And that's something that so many people are trying to achieve, but feel as if they don't make enough time to do it or to focus on it. And it's like, well, all you need to do is just stop and acknowledge that it's happening. And that's okay that it's happening because there's so many forces that are outside of your control and the ability to control any any of these forces at any one time can fluctuate and it just takes a minute to kind of take a look at the forest for the trees and see everything that's taking place and then go okay like that tree's the smallest I'm going to chop that down first you know and it was like just to correlate back to like when I was juggling all of those tasks to support my vision of Reiki and Western medicine. And I started um, my mental health therapy. My therapist was like, 
okay, what is like the first thing that you can cut out? And I was just like, no, I don't want to do any of this. And she's like, no, like you need to do this to get to the core of yourself so that you can further carry out the things that you want to create. Um, But yeah, it becomes that acknowledgement piece and it's okay to acknowledge where you are and it's okay to change your path. Like, I think that's like one of the biggest life lessons for me and I'm still integrating it a little bit is that like, even though I have this dream for what I want to become or what I want to support Reiki with or however my future looks, it's, it, I need to allow the path to kind of unfold with me, not for me, um, or for the way that I want it to. Like I need to be with the path rather than looking at the path from a different angle or from a perspective of this is how it's going to be because that's all that I can perceive or that's all that I can understand. It's like we grow so much by acknowledging like these present moments and these things that take place in these presence moments. And the additional pieces of life that move with and around the acknowledgement of those present moments. Um, And those additional pieces of life are so vital to the co-creation between the greater life force energy and the life force energy within, within yourself. And yes, the physical symptoms or even mental and emotional symptoms which are probably rooted in the body somewhere. There's such an indicator, again, of, I don't really want to say misalignment, but something's off for sure. Yeah. Especially, it just makes me think of, like when you have a newborn, they, I don't know the exact studies, I might butcher this, but I do know that like you can, receive signals from the baby to know exactly what they need it takes time to create that communication but you can have babies signing right away and you'll know those um those needs not to shame parents I'm not a parent so (laughs) however modeling but we've kind of moved away from that setup and that's been like a very long thing it's not new it's a very old practice but how what was the earliest memory where you were like crying in public and someone was like, Oh, we don't do that in public. Like you can't cry right now. Like we'll talk about it later. Or like you get angry in the moment, but it's like, no, you have to be confined to your room to be angry. Or you have to com- be confined to these spaces to feel emotions. And like, I would shut down anytime I was outside of my room and I would only allow emotion or like release or movement or processing in a very specific area. And I think it's kind of part of the, I don't want to say disease or maybe disease, I guess, like this feeling that we can't trust those symptoms or those signs when they come up, because all of our programming as a society is kind of teaching us, like we have to shut it down and we can only process it in one way. And I feel like we've talked about this before, but there I met this woman who was like the world's most extreme skier. 
and I can't think of her name right now, but she would jump out of helicopters doing backflips, skiing down mountains and everything. She was amazing. And then one day the fear just overtook her and she had to stop completely. And then she studied fear with monks and Buddhists and like tried to understand like why it just stopped her cold. And then she she did a TED talk on this. I'll link that below. And when I remember her name, she wrote a book. Um, she did this TED talk. And I, when I was there, she was explaining that like we feel like fear is outside of us instead of a process. And we're not in relation to fear, just like all of our emotions. We think they're outside of us. And we get taught that like they are have to be confined and we have to keep them completely separate from our experience. Mm. And she was like, how much liberated, how much more liberated could you feel if when you were sad, you cried Mm -hmm. in public or anywhere you were. And I did a workshop with her later and I was with my friend and then she got up and it was just like a task of like, talk about what's happening in your life. And then she started talking about her cats dying and the experiences she's go through. And then she just starts crying and at first I was like very triggered because I was like, where is this going? Like, I don't know how to receive you. And it was like, she did it in a way where she wasn't putting it on anyone else. She was just in her experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think on an off tangent, I think when we do feel emotion, we feel like someone has to take it from us in a mm-hmm. way instead of being in it. And it was just a beautiful experience because then after that everyone after her would stand up and they would go even deeper and all the emotions would flow and I remember I was the last one (laughs) and so I just started talking about (laughs) I was like sitting there and I was like oh no what am I gonna say and then I just kind of dumped everything every sadness in my life like I mean, I've been through some shit, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I just talked about it, like the experiences I had and I was sobbing, like couldn't speak sobbing. And then everyone after just like came up and gave me a hug and she walked up to me and she was like, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, wow. (laughs) And there was this feeling, it just lightened pain in my body and I could feel that release. And I think that's so just potent, especially when we feel like we have that misalignment or something doesn't feel connected to us Mm -hmm. just like get in touch of like where are you not releasing something and like what are you holding and whenever you and I have a session that's kind of what it reminds me of is like there's just something that's just like cupped in like a joint or in like a piece of my body that's like I'm afraid to just release it and then when it Mm -hmm. finally does it I mean, it doesn't always feel amazing in the moment, but then afterwards there's this just lightness to it. So yeah, that was a long tangent, but that's what no, it made me okay. think okay. <laughs> I want to like honor your experience of being acknowledged by that skier, you know, in a big crowd, but also being last, you know, you're like experiencing and empathetically feeling everybody else's emotions, but it's also giving you permission to like experience yours and like 
that is the beauty of vulnerability is that like, okay, once we all give each other this permission to have these experiences, we can start releasing because it feels safe and okay to do that. When, when you were a little kid, you couldn't cry in public, you know, it wasn't safe to do that. It was deemed unsafe to cry in public. You are to be seen and not be heard. And, um, but what you're talking about, especially when it comes down to like babies and moms and understanding the needs, a lot of it is communication through the nervous system. And the nervous system, um, the autonomic nervous system is the system that has these automatic processes within the body of our heart rate, our respiratory rate, um, inducing like fight or flight energy and releasing neurotransmitters to support fight or flight energy um, or responses, excuse me. And yeah, when the nervous system is connected to the the peripheral nervous system of the autonomic nervous system is connected to the brain. So it's becomes this, the brain and the processing that takes place in the brain is connected directly to the whole body. And so then therefore they are not separate and creating safety to a nervous system where things are acceptable or things are validated or things are okay really provides space for the body to say, okay, like I'm allowed to exist here. And our subconscious mind is constantly scanning our environment for any sort of threat at any given moment. And it knows what's behind you. It knows what's to the left of you. Even though you're not focused on that thing, your subconscious mind is communicating to your nervous system that these things are in your environment. And when we get consistently exposed to something that tells us that who we are in our environment is not safe, every time we're around that person or around something that reminds us of that person, a pattern in the body begins to develop to protect itself. And it protects itself to find its level of safety. And that's so important because we learn a lot of protection mechanisms that aren't fully of service to our authentic safety and our authentic self and our true nature and having the space and the ability to express in that space. So yeah, like one thing um, I'm going back to like the mom and the baby thing is like self-soothing. It's like the baby can't self-soothe. It doesn't, the nervous system is like this clean slate. Like it needs to be molded like Play-Doh and you can mold a sword from Play-Doh or you can mold a soft, cushy couch in, from Play-Doh, you know what I mean? Like you can mold whatever it is. And, and that nervous system at such a young age needs hands to mold it essentially, or another human to mold it. And that's why parenting um, is so incredibly important. And that's why non-stressful parenting is incredibly important. And that's why managing your stress as an adult here and now is incredibly important to pass on the ability to manage and perceive 
from generation to generation beyond you. And that type of behavior can ultimately change our genetic expressions and mutate our genes based on consistent, some sort of consistent behavior from generation to generation. So a lot of it has to do with the nervous system and its ability to understand what is safe. And the body begins to develop patterns based on what it was molded to as a child or even growing up or any major experience where the body had to either shut down or shut off or wasn't able to actually shake out or fully express or fully live out through the nervous system. So one of the biggest examples that a lot of people who are teaching about nervous system and trauma and somatics at this point is in the jungle and in the wild, I'm not going to say just the jungle, but in the wild, when a predator is approaching a prey, they both kind of enter these like responses, these nervous system responses. And because they are a more um, primal or they're mammalian, like they're more of a primal mammal, they're not developed with this higher thinking mind as humans have evolved into, um, they still very much so abide by these primal instincts in the nervous system and in the animal brain. And so when the predator is chasing the prey, they both move into these like fight or flight activation, activated states, response states. And once the moment or the, the situation is over, and so maybe the predator did not catch the prey, when the moment is over, instinctively the animals like shake out their body to further release any of the neurotransmitters or chemicals that were initiated in this natural response um, in order for the body to clear out anything that it needs to. So um it's incredibly important because if we don't have a moment to shake it out or to express our anger or express our emotions or in a safe place, right? Like the height of the experience is over. Now there's kind of these two safe spaces for both the predator and the prey to kind of like recalibrate and like settle back into this center of balance, this alignment, this state of being. If we don't do that, which this happens in humans all the time because we are in this society of like, just trudge forth, go on, don't cry, like don't stop and wait, just keep going. We don't actually have permit that primal mammalian instinct to shake it out. It then becomes stuck and stored in the body. And then the body develops patterns around that storage or around that event. And because the nervous system, the peripheral nervous system is throughout the whole entire somatic body. It's also connected to the central nervous system, which is deeply connected to that mammalian or midbrain, which is our emotional and long-term memory that just is constantly communicating to the body around safety and around permission and what we can and can't do or things of that sort. And 
those patterns just begin to develop if we don't create this safe enough space for the expression, the release, whatever it needs to be. Mm. And like growing up for me, I was just, I don't know if I told was told that it wasn't safe to be myself, particularly. It's not like you can't be this person, but there was hints of like, you're not going to make enough money doing that. So it's not going to be worth it. Or I don't know, if you do this, you'll be better off. And really kind of like telling people where to go and what to do rather than like allowing the natural experience to take place and live itself out. Yeah. It's kind of like we're taught to take each other's autonomy in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And something my therapist says is as I move out of like codependent relationships and things, they often ask me, like, why do you feel like you have to control their lesson? Mm. And I always am just like, I have no idea. <laughs> why do I feel like I have to control their reaction or what their experience is? And like, why do I have to feel like I have to fix it? And I think when people, I try to assume that when people tell me, like, you can't do that because you're better off doing this. It comes from a place of like, I'm trying to protect you. But I think there's this instinct that we've kind of created this pattern of, I have to protect this person from failure. And I have to protect this person from lessons because that's what I was taught that I had to be protected by. Um, And I think there's that innate desire of humans to share and share that wisdom. And I think yeah, I've tried to accept that like those are good intentions, even though they're not right, because we kind of created this culture that it's so terrifying to fail or to go after like entrepreneurial things or different paths that might not be in the society. And like we're tribal creatures, like we want to be together. And I think that moment of like I'm gonna go do this thing that isn't a typical experience of the modern person so they're like oh she's gonna get kicked out (laughs) of the community like we have to keep her in here like what is she doing um so I think I mean I don't know I don't know if there's been studies on that but like I try to hope that maybe that's where it comes from that's a um there they're really trying to bring online like the trauma responses and what takes place in the body for the health and wellness industry. And this response of the possibility of getting kicked out of the tribe is actually called fawning. Mm-hmm. And you, what you do in fawning, it, they say it's like this social mimicry. So it's almost like you're mimicking what the group needs And you're sacrificing what you want or what you need for the group needs. And um, yeah, and sometimes it can feel like if we don't honor the group needs and we honor ourselves, then we will be exiled. And the fear of being exiled is like detrimental to our 
well-being in terms of understanding if we're safe or not, right? Like pack animals or people like mammalian type people who need other creatures or social like need to socialize or connect with each other um, through group. They experience this a lot because they're trying to figure out like, what do I do for myself? And how do I also maintain a sense of safety? And so sometimes that self gets sacrificed because it feels safer to be doing what everybody else is doing. But again, the world changes and our present moment and like really honoring that depth of presence can help flow with that change. Um, So like, if you think about it generationally, it's like your parents or my parents, you know, or, or let's say the boomer generation or they told you things that was safe for them. But what's safe for them is changing because there's 8 billion or at the time, you know, six and a half to seven and a half billion people on the planet that all have this like will, their own personal will. And then there's like this will of whatever a higher power God or the universe is taking supporting at the same time like whatever greater force is at play is also at play here with eight billion people's will personal wills you know what i mean or their personal consciousness or their ego and identity and how that ties into their will and so things can change because an idea is going to come through one of these people and it's going to catch on and then all these other people are going to start listening to it and then a new sense of a new standard of safety becomes the new sensation and we change dynamics as higher thinking individuals through permission of these new sensations and who knows where it's going to take the world but let's put it in a sense of reiki reiki is an energy and according to the common world that is so accustomed to these old systems of medical care, they don't believe in Reiki or it's taboo to them or it's foreign to them because they can't see it and they don't know it. And that's this old sense of safety is to say no to those things. But as we use our language and our higher thinking minds to say, actually, this is how most people feel. So going back to that personalized, individual, qualitative data of somebody's own experience and how valuable that is, we can start to collect qualitative information as this data that says, this is how most people feel, or this is how the average person feels when they experience Reiki. And this was one of the missions at the hospital where we were bringing, when I was a volunteer, we were bringing Reiki into the cancer infusion clinics. And the way that we introduced Reiki was it's not that it was a life force energy. It was Reiki is a Japanese modality where we use the hands to support rest and relaxation and promote the body's natural ability to repair itself. And to any common person, people know the body naturally repairs itself because every single person on this planet, for the most part, unless your bubble boy has received a cut on their skin and has watched it healed, unless you have 
an immunocompromising disease where you don't heal, um, most people understand that the body has this ability to repair itself. And so when you take a new paradigm and you introduce it in a safe way, you can change the level of safety in the old paradigm of safety for that, for what it was into something different. And that's definitely how I believe Reiki is going to grow is by introducing it as a way to support the body's natural systems. So many things can change when we allow the body to go into that natural space. Um, and it, and it takes, I guess, reconditioning or reconfiguring, you know, what you believe to be safe to enter into that space, to allow what you can't see to support you in coming into your most natural state to allow things to actually flow. And in my perspective with my clients is when they get into that space of this is a natural place for me. Um, Sometimes I have them address things that are old patterns. So like kind of separating that old pattern from what they actually feel in their presence and in their authentic self. Um, My clients begin to notice that they can create a life that is really, really suitable for them and really supportive to their window of tolerance and however that shifts and supportive to their boundaries and executing boundaries so that they can give and receive in a way that feels fluid and natural and not demanding or shameful or right or wrong or any of those um, polarizing perspectives. Thank you again, Erin, for stopping by. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to stick around for part two. Head on over to substack.com and find us at Revel and Reveal. There's paid subscription options starting at $5. You get these exclusive interviews, um, different newsletters from me, and also in the future, um, exclusive artwork from yours truly. It's a really great time over there. And you can also subscribe to the free version as well if you would just like some monthly newsletters. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode and see you soon.